0: Let's finish out strong. It's good to see everyone here tonight. And even if this is the first night that you're here with us, uh, don't worry. We don't have to have any prior knowledge to this evening in order to succeed. But you will have to have your Bibles and have that Bible open to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Uh, if you look up here, it says the woman at the well and telling others about Jesus And I would for us here in the adult class I'd like to uh, to change the word to reflect actually looking at the woman at the well herself. and so i'm I'm thinking of this as a lesson in faith and we're going to find uh, that this woman does in fact have, faith. Uh, I, I, I love this particular episode, especially out of the book of John. Let's talk about the book of John for a moment. Uh, the, the Gospels, the four Gospels, are separated into a group of three and one. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic Gospels. Synoptic means they look alike. They have a lot of the same uh, information in them. Uh, Their focus is mostly the same. They're talking about the life and or ministry of Jesus, but uh, guiding that life and ministry toward select audiences. John said, no, that's, that's not good enough. So John is focused on helping us understand that the reason Jesus is worth worshiping and following. And so John takes the time to help us understand that Jesus is in fact God in flesh. And after we've already been establishing that through these chapters... And the fact that Jesus is, we see that there is this uh, miracle that he performs. We see at the beginning of chapter 1 more about how he is, in fact, God. And then we get this lesson uh, with Nicodemus in chapter 3, where he's trying to talk about the kingdom. And then John hits us with this in chapter 4. And if we know all of that about John, it seems like we have a little bit of a departure with the narrative from that standpoint. But it absolutely is not, and that's the beautiful thing about this uh, this section here. Okay, so John chapter four. We're gonna get into verse seven. That's where we're gonna start. Okay. Jesus has left Judea, it says he went away to Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. And I'm, I, I've, perhaps some of us know this, and if you don't, um, the Jews did not usually go through Samaria. It's a dirty, nasty town, but it's not dirty, nasty because it was unsanitary. It was dirty, nasty because there are these dirty, nasty Samaritans. And it tells us that at the end of verse 9... Uh, It says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So what they would often do is they would cross the Jordan and then go north up the Jordan and then cross back over, either going across the Sea of Galilee, maybe even going around the Sea of Galilee, all to avoid Samaria. Jesus never does that right through Samaria. Uh, And so again, as we were talking last night, God has uh, an amazing sense of timeliness. Timeliness. We talked about that the night before as well. And this is no different. Okay. All right. He is sitting at Jacob's well in Samaria when we hit verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. This is a very normal. That whoever's coming out to draw water, if there was someone sitting there, they could ask whoever was drawing water, give me a drink. We saw that with Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. This is very normal. Hey, give me a drink. And then, they okay, while they're drawing, they would give you a drink from what they're drawing. Oftentimes, it was also a conversation starter, which is exactly how Jesus uses it here. Um, but, as I we have here in question one, what's the first remarkable thing We read about this woman. We call her the woman at the well. Okay. Okay. She is a Samaritan, meaning she has the blood of Abraham in her. That's what the Jews always wanted to deny. Okay. She does have the blood of Abraham within her, but she is a Samaritan. And normally that wouldn't mean a thing to us. But any Jew reading John's account, whew, that, that, they would have gone wild. Uh, at, at least perhaps at first, but they're following Jesus. They should know what they're getting into. She's a Samaritan. Therefore, verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Wouldn't the better question be, why are you even here? You're a Jew. What are you doing here? And since there's such animosity, wouldn't you think that the natural reaction would be, no, you're a Jew. Y'all hate us. No, thank you. Draw your own water. But that's not what she does. She asks this question. Why are you asking me? I'm a Samaritan. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So of course, true to form, Jesus immediately jumps into a spiritual discussion with this woman. Why are you asking me for water? Well, actually, if things had been the other way around, I'd give you living water. So now she's intrigued. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle?" I have here question number two. Is it remarkable that she doesn't pick up on the spiritual nature of Jesus' opening to the conversation? Is it remarkable? (laughs) Right. Yeah, go ahead. Right. So this idea of taking things literally, John has already showed us that, hasn't he? Nicodemus, uh, in chapter 3, he says, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus goes, you can't go back in your mother's womb, right? Unless I'm totally wrong about this. And Jesus says, why is it crazy to you that I say you must be born again? This idea shows us that the Jewish at the time, you might see Nicodemus and you go, okay, that's Nicodemus. Now you see a Samaritan woman have the exact same reaction to what Jesus is thinking. We are all on the same level playing field. The Jewish leadership, religious leadership, is no better at thinking through things spiritually than a Samaritan woman. And that's not to shove that back in her face. That's to get on to the Jewish leadership. That's right. She comes by it far more honestly. But here's the thing. She is going to pick up on it so much faster than the vast majority of the Jewish leadership. So she's kind of stuck in this, okay? Well, you have nothing to draw with, and you can't be greater than our father Jacob. I love that phrase because of what he just told her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink. If you knew who I was, this conversation would be going a whole lot differently right now. And then she says, you're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? And as John's writing this, he's like, yeah, that's what we're getting to. Oh, yeah, he's greater than our father Jacob. Right? Yes, he is greater than your father Jacob. And I also love that she says, our father Jacob, the Jews would have had a field day with that. But it's true. Jacob is their father. And so is Abraham. So Jesus, remember when when Nicodemus said, oh, I can't go back in my mother's womb, right? Jesus chastises him. He doesn't do that with her. Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. He's engaging. Okay, we're not talking about real water. We're not talking about the water that's right in front of you. Okay, because if you drink of that, you're going to thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. He doesn't get on to her for not understanding. He keeps going. And one of the great things about what Jesus and, and the other uh New Testament author, especially when you see Paul do this in the book of Acts, and perhaps if, if you've seen preachers do this as well, uh, it tends to go really well. You keep the analogy going, and you keep bringing it up, then it starts to create a bigger picture in people's mind, and it's going to help with her as well. Yes, sir. Right. Right. And that's the beautiful thing, right? I could say the same thing about Nicodemus. But again, Nicodemus should be much further along. But look at the inquisitive nature. What do you mean by that? Are are you saying what I think you're saying? And notice that inquisitive mindset out of her. Okay, And that's part of the answer to question number three. Why is this conversation Jesus is having incredible for the Samaritans. Okay. So I think that's part of it, but what else? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So this is a real life extension of an olive branch. You all have felt yourselves separated, but let's, let's talk. Let's talk about how you can have living water. The Jews would have had a conniption about this. They, they don't get the living water. They don't get this salvation. No, 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 no. They're the Samaritans. While again, Nicodemus is struggling with things on the same level as this woman. But they're the better ones, right? They're higher in thought. What else is incredible about this conversation? No wrong answers. Yes, it is. So not only is he talking about salvation in general, which we haven't really seen Jesus talk about, he talked about it with Nicodemus, and he mentions about being born again and the importance of water and the Spirit in this rebirth. Now he's talking... To people who are outside the Jews about salvation, and he's going to direct her salvation back at her. We haven't gotten that yet. We haven't gotten to that point yet, but he is going to talk to her about it. He's not going to tell her, you have to be a Jew. He's going to tell her how she can have salvation. Yes. Right. (laughs) Okay. Right. (laughs) And that was the beauty of this question is what we've talked about. I was kind of hoping we'd get some other answers, but that's why I asked the question. She is a non-Jew. She's not just a non-Jew. Okay. Let's get that clear. She's a half-breed, which is worse than a Gentile, right? So this isn't even Jew-Gentile. This is Jew and lower than Gentile. This is a Samaritan, okay? The Gentiles, the Jews would go home after dealing doing business with a Gentile and wash their hands. I got to cleanse myself from being in contact with the Gentiles. When they would come with Samaritans, there are, there are stories in rabbinic writings of people going through rituals of purification, multiple days of purifying after coming in contact with the Samaritan, okay? That's how the Jews feel about these people. So not only is Jesus in Samaria talking to a Samaritan, he's talking to a woman. And remember, we talked about how does God feel about women? We talked about this on Sunday. The first person outside of the people of Israel that Jesus talks to is a woman who is a Samaritan. And I love that phrase that you use, bringing them into the fold. That's exactly what he's talking about. She's not quite there yet, but she'll get there in a second. Nicodemus had a lot more (laughs) in the book of John before he starts coming around to what Jesus is saying. And even then, it doesn't end on, and Nicodemus completely understood. This woman is completely different. She has asked, what, three questions? Two questions, up to this point of where we are. And she is almost ready. She is so much further along in her faith than so many of these Jews. Yes. And that's let's let's get there. Let's get there. Okay. So had the Samaritans heard anything like this before? Of course not. All they'd heard is we hate you. You're the worst. You know, dogs. We we really hate dogs. We hate you more, right? I mean that that's the way that the Jews think. So he says the water that I give him shall never thirst. And he just said he would offer it to her. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. Okay, I've heard so many people, preachers, talk about how she's still stuck in this literal mindset. No, no, she is on the verge. She's getting there. And as Michael just pointed out, it's because she's aware that she needs something. The Jews never thought they needed anything. We've got everything we need. We've got the blood of Abraham. We've got the law of Moses. We're good. She knows she needs something. Yes, she still thinks we're talking about water, literal water that can give her life, but she's right there. She is right there on the cusp of a faith-based revelation. And I I would love to assume that about her when you say like, (laughs) so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. I do think we're still perhaps a little bit stuck in the literal, but I, I think that that's a valid interpretation that she is kind of using the metaphor to continue. But I don't know. I'm not sure if I can go all the way to saying, I think that that's... Uh, how this passage ought to be interpreted, Michael? Okay, so not so. This woman has no influence, right? <laughs> Political power, religious power, riches, influence, right? Yeah, the Romans rule this area, but the Sanhedrin have a lot to say about. What's going to happen to Jesus here in the next couple of years? Right. So the first person he goes to is a Samaritan woman who has nothing. No power, no influence, nothing. No prospect, no social prospects, ultimately, and, and her situation is even worse than we think. We just haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> her situation is so much worse in terms of social structure of the culture of this time and we don't know that and the beautiful thing is Jesus does Jesus knows and he's still talking to her and he's still talking about how she can have access to this water she is a nobody and Jesus is talking to her and he's having this conversation so Again, I think she's right here. She's right on the cusp. He said to her, go call your husband and come here. It's just genius. Because of course, Jesus isn't, we're going to find out. Jesus isn't actually telling her. He's setting her up. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. (laughs) And he just, okay, thank you. Thank you for walking right into this. And remember all the way back, besides give me a drink, the first real thing he said to her in conversation is, if you knew who I was. So now Jesus says, okay, here you go. Now you know who I am. (laughs) right right at the at the very least you know fornicator right because okay let's say that you know by jewish law she could have separated from all five of these husbands and but at the very least now she's not living in a marriage by jewish law so yeah so not only she is a samaritan the worst of the worst she's a woman she is a fornicator and perhaps even an adulterer, adulteress, whatever. And he's still talking to her about how she can have the water of life. Just let it sink in for a second. Question four: How does it, how, how do I give brownie points here to this woman in verse seventeen? She is honest. She's honest. I don't have one. Right? And I say she's not ashamed, right? Because she's being honest, but at the same time, it's a half-truth, right? I don't have a husband. Partially true. Jesus doesn't get on to her, though. He says, I know. Here's really your situation. That's how much I know you. And and I love her response. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. No kidding. You don't know this person from Adam. Of course he's a prophet. I I think I started hearing somebody. Okay. All it says is, the one you currently have... Is not your husband, it's like your so I don't know. I don't know, um, and, and I—it, <laughs> it's certainly not out of the question. But it, it doesn't tell us if it's you know a, a a a type of situation with Joseph and Mary, you know, before Jesus is born. I, I don't know what the relationship with, uh, the relationship is, but what is important is that it ain't her husband, and clearly she's having a relationship with him that I'm, I think Jesus is pointing out she's not supposed to be having. <laughs> right? Yeah, Yeah, and, and Jesus helps us understand that, that he says it's because of the hardness of your heart, right? It's because you can't handle it, and clearly that was the case. Um, and yes, it was quite rampant. It's so rampant to the point that the disciples, when Jesus says that we, we shouldn't be divorcing, that the, the Apostle said, then what's the point of getting married? It's like, I'm sorry, what? But at the same time, I look at the life that this woman has decided to live. And she's honest about it, at least partially honest. But look at how she responds. Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. A prophet of Beelzebub? No. You're doing all this because the devil has given you power? No. She considers him a prophet from God. The lowest of the low echelon of society is saying, I I see you as a prophet. And the leadership of the Jews is like, you've got to be from the devil. And this is what John is helping us understand. The people that that should know what they're talking about. The Jews don't have any concept that Jesus is God. People outside of the religious elite are so much quicker to accept this concept. Okay, But I want you to look at how she then turns around. This is where I say, no, when she said, sir, please give me this water. It's not that she's stuck. She's right on the verge because look at what she now says. I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So that's like, we're not—we're—we're we're halfway. We're halfway there. Before now, Jesus has gotten her there, Michael. Right? So this woman, when she realizes that he is from God, asks him about worshiping God. That's her first question. In fact, the fact that she even thinks to ask a question is remarkable. Right? Because so many others, especially of the religious elite in, in Jerusalem, are, they'll, they'll see things exactly like this and go, see, the devil. They're not thinking to ask a question. They're not. That, that comes later, right? And they only ask questions trying to trap Jesus. This woman needs to know. Okay, where is it? Is it Jerusalem or here? <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, it's it's mountains that all, you know, come from God. And this is where our, our father Jacob was, surely, right? But she says, I need to know. Our father's worshiped here. You say Jerusalem, which is it? And I love Jesus' answer. Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. Sort of answers the question a little bit. But an hour is coming. And now is. And now is. Think, keep that in mind. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Okay, so first of all, uh, we've already answered number five. What do the woman's observation questions tell us about her? And I think it's that when she realizes that he's a prophet, she switches to a spiritual mode. But I think she was really close to that anyway. And then I said, "What is the father seeking? What is the father actually seeking?" Those who worship, right, it says the Father seeks to be His worshipers. And who is that? Those who worship in spirit and truth. When will that time come? When will the Father seek those people? Now. Now is the time when the Father seeks those who worship in spirit and truth. And this goes back to what we have read all throughout the Old Testament. God didn't want people who were following the Mosaic Law. Did He want people to follow the Mosaic Law? Yes. He wanted people who were following the Mosaic Law because that was in spirit and truth. That's what God wanted then. That's what God wants now. Now is the time when we worship the Father in spirit and truth. Now, as he mentioned, yes, salvation is from the Jews. And you can see that for now. (laughs) Salvation is from the Jews for now. But there is a time. Coming and now is. And that's what Jesus keeps saying all the time, right? The kingdom is coming and is now here. So worshiping God in spirit and truth right now, yeah, you need to be going to Jerusalem. That's where you worship God. But not for long. That's that could be kind of a hard question to answer. I she can understand what Jesus is saying. If someone is not spiritually minded, that might be a daunting thing to hear and maybe not completely understand that we see this from the disciples all the time. Uh, Jesus will give a parable and then the disciples go, okay, we really didn't get what that meant. And then the Pharisees are going, oh, we know exactly what it means, but we still hate you. We know you're talking to us. He tells this woman this because she can understand And what I would say is we're implying that she's the kind of person God's looking for to worship. Yes, sir. (laughs) Right. right? We're slowly sinking into madness from a Jewish perspective. But now we've gotten here and God's wisdom is not your wisdom. God's ways are higher than your ways. And now it becomes clear. Ah, like And God, God never forgets about His people. And this is why all throughout the prophets, we see God reaching out to people that are not from the nations of Israel or Judah. God talks to Nineveh through Jonah and Nahum. God talks to uh, Egypt and the Amalekites and the Amorites, and the Moabites, the Midianites with other prophets. Uh, God sent uh, one entire prophet to Edom, Obadiah. God is watching and caring because all of us were His at one point or another by, by blood, right? At one point, we were all from a bloodline that had direct access to God. And God has not forgotten. And now He's simply re-offering what their ancestors had access to. Yeah, those people were still living in the land when they came back from exile. The people that are the Samaritans, and they came to Nehemiah wanting to help rebuild the wall. They came to Zerubbabel about rebuilding the temple. They they were interested. Nehemiah says, you'll have nothing to do with us because of the sin you've committed by intermarrying with the people of this land. But they were still there. And they still had the blood of Abraham and the blood of Jacob within them. And so you're right. God hasn't forgotten about them. And the crazy thing is, again, we think, well, this all makes sense to us. We know the outcome. A Jew reading this is, you know, steam out the ears. Probably head is about to explode. And Jesus just keeps going. And John keeps going. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And there we have hit it. John has just laid it down and said, all right, take with it what you will. The Samaritans were looking for the Messiah. And I don't think this question or this statement is meant to blow him off. Okay, that's what you say, but you know, when the Messiah comes, we'll sort this out with him. I don't think that's what's going on here. I think this is a probing question. You're a prophet, and you're talking about a time in which we'll worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Messiah is supposed to be talking about that stuff. And then look what he says. I who speak to you am he. Very simple. I who speak to you am he. So now his disciples come. (laughs) What's going on? They don't ask, but it says they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman, but they don't have time to marvel for too long. The woman left her water pot, went into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? He does so little. It's a drop in the bucket compared to what he does in front of the Sanhedrin. And she's like, I have the Messiah. Isn't this wonderful? And she's going and telling everybody in Samaria. And then there are the Jews going, ah, he's probably from the devil. She is so excited that she has found the Messiah. She has to tell everybody. And I'm sorry, uh, that does not tell me that she is so gullible that she is convinced of this in one short conversation. She has been waiting for this. She has been looking for this. The Samaritans aren't supposed to do that. They're the dogs of the earth. They're not supposed to be able to do that. And guess what? They are. And so then he has this this moment here with his disciples. We're going to skip through that. We're almost out of time. So the Samaritans, it says that from the city, verse 39, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. So they believe her. She's apparently speaking with conviction. They're believing her.